just as a side note, as this recording is going on, I'm actually operating on a timer on my phone for like 45 minutes because I'm doing my laundry. That has absolutely, and I realized, that has absolutely nothing relevant to do with this James Bond review. But, you know, I figured I'd state that because it's just fucking pointless. And, but then again, a lot of life is pointless. But there is no that shouldn't be seen as a downside. I personally don't believe that because life has no inherent meaning that somehow you can't give it some meaning. And in a lot of ways, no time to die is about that in many ways. I mean, one of the misconceptions people often have about life is that it's too short. Well, maybe. It all is a matter of perspective if you take it into account that we have more time than a lot of living organisms out there. We have a greater, we definitely have a better perception of time, space, and all that other bullshit. I mean, no animal, every animal is afraid, but they don't necessarily, necessarily, sorry, tongue twist there. They don't necessarily contemplate fear the way we do. Hell, they don't even contemplate existence. They don't have the self-awareness that we do. It's more instinctual. With us, we always take everything into account with regards to time. And when it comes to time and life, we often think it's too short. But I once saw this video on YouTube from a channel called Pursuit of Wonder, and I'm gonna link, leave a link down below for that video because one, and the video talked about how it's a misconception because we simply just want more. And there's a lot of truth to that because I mean, you can look at it all, the deathbed confessions where a person said, I wish I had done this with my life. And then you ask yourself, why didn't you? And they never say that they didn't have enough time. Well, they actually do. Some of them do. If anything, they had plenty of time to do it, but instead of doing it, they decided to do something they felt they were obligated to do. And a figure like James Bond, who is highly independent and countercult, well, countercultural in the sense that He's very Nietzschean. He doesn't necessarily lit. He has his own moral code, despite the fact that he's also the kind of fantasy that a lot of men tend to, well, want to replicate. And I think what makes the Daniel Craig movies so interesting is that they operate on a deconstructionist angle of James Bond. And Casino Royale was the best, was the absolute proof of that. Now, I'm talking about No Time to Die, but. I think it's hard not to talk about No Time to Die without talking about Casino Royale, given that that was the first of the Daniel Craig series, which goes back all the way to 2006, and now we're at 2020, well, I mean, we're in 2022, but No Time to Die came out in 2021, but at the same time, when it comes to a 15-year-old legacy, that's very telling. Now, granted, I can't say that the Daniel Craig series has been perfect. It's had its ups and its downs, and it's even, and the film's... When it comes to the consistency of directors, it's gone back and forth. I mean, the fact that it that only one, only two of that only two of them had the same director is very telling. And then there's this the fifth one, No Time to Die, which was moving from one director to the next. I mean, I was rather. I mean, when I heard that Danny Boyle was going to direct No Time to Die, I was rather excited. I had forgotten who Carrie Fukunoji. I'm hoping I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. When I heard that the guy who directed season one of True Detective was on board, I was like, holy fucking shit. I mean, I never, I haven't, I don't know if Kerry Fukunoji has directed any films, 
but I did love True Detective season one, and uh, when you look at Matthew McConaughey's performance in that show, it's just fucking revolutionary, and it's the reason films like Mud and Interstellar are, are just proof that he did, that he had he just had to take a lot of shit with all those horrible rom coms he did. Fuck, I think Killer Joe with by William Friedkin with Matthew McConaughey is. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know if I would say it's underrated. But then again, a lot of films of William Friedkin are not as well known. People don't gravitate towards any of his, that many of his films anymore as opposed to The Exorcist unless you're a diehard film fan. I mean, I still struggle between To Live and, Lo- to live and Die in L.A. or um, Sorcerer. But anyway, going back to No Time to Die, the fact that, that No Time to Die had so many directors moving between it it's just another example of how the James Bond series for Daniel Craig just had its ups and its down. I mean, the fact that it was Martin... First, it was Martin Campbell who directed Casino Royale, and I don't I don't know the direct name of the director for A Quantum of Solace, which was a major step down, is... But the fact that they are already, with the second film, they had another director is very telling, even though... And then there was, and then there was Skyfall and Spectre with Sam Mendes... And so you have to take the Daniel Craig series for what it is. But I think in a lot of ways, that isn't necessarily a negative. I think it's a positive because in many ways it fully embraces it. And the and I think No Time to Die is the perfect example of that. It's a film about time, death, and the significance of our actions in crafting a meaningful life. When it comes to Jane, this interpretation of James Bond and how he works more in a deconstructionist kind of way, that's very relevant and when i say deconstructionist i mean basically they take they take something and they break it down and this is nothing new really i mean i actually wrote a substack about no time to die and how the james bond character that daniel craig plays and his interpretation works from a deconstructionist angle because there are a lot of things about james bond that people fantasize many men in particular fantasize about i mean when you think about it he's a gentleman bachelor with a license to kill he knows how to whip up a good martini shaken never stirred he's always i mean he he executes his enemies of elegance he's very well trained very well educated very handsome drives some of the best cars goes to the most exotic locations saves the world in the most exotic in the most dynamic fashion and yet and he sleeps around with loads of women, and you think, oh my god, how can you take that apart and, and see something negative about it? Well, it was William Shakespeare who said, the world is a stage, and we are all players. And for those who still have trouble trying to understand what that means, that basically means is, we're all putting on an act in some way or the other. And the James, I mean, the... I almost said James Brown for some reason. I don't even know why. But the Daniel Craig James Bond series does that. No, presents that in a way where James Bond in this series is illustrated as being a very self-destructive individual who has who basically embodies all the traits of previous interpretations of James Bond. But those traits aren't necessarily glorified all the time. I mean, you got to, because it is a James Bond, you have to sell, no, it is a James Bond film, you have to sell tickets, you got to market it properly, you have to make him want to 
come out victorious and you want to be able to like him for some of his qualities but at the same time a lot of these qualities are so inherently self-destructive that you come to recognize that they're a fucking armor he's puts on to hide the fact that at the end of the day he's a very flawed individual and I even talked about this in my Substack, how recently they've been doing that with other great characters like the Batman character from the Dark Knight trilogy and even the last the last time that Hugh Jackman officially played Wolverine, I, I'm, I'm not going to cop in Logan, even though I haven't seen the new Doctor Strange film, and I heard that they, I, I, and I heard that they, in addition to the Fantastic Four, they did some X-Men shit in there, and I'm not sure if, if uh, Hugh Jackman would reprise Wolverine for that again. I mean, I'm still amazed. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he technically did it for Deadpool 2 when he appears as his uh, Charles Manson-esque Logan in that in uh, Stryker Island when Deadpool was sent there. But anyway, going back to James Bond and the deconstructionist angle, the fact that they present him as a very flawed individual with all these qualities, I mean, the fact that he drinks a lot, the fact that he sleeps around with women to, who eventually end who. Who he who ends up who end up either dying or or being killed as a result of his recklessness, and he uses these women as tools for his own sexual gratification, or even just as tools for information. Just it goes beyond just painting him as a sexist. I mean, I heard that Carrie Fukunoji actually called Sean Connery's uh, interpretation of James Bond a rapist. I can't really comment on that because you know what, when it comes to other James Bond interpretations I sadly have not seen them and that does paint me as a bit of a hypocrite but we're not really talking about my own hypocrisy so much as James Bond's hypocrisy and how well not his hypocrisy I'm just well yeah you could say he's kind of a hypocrite in these movies because as confident and as cool as he tries to be and as cold-hearted as he tries to be especially in Casino Royale right after Ava Green's character dies and he says the bitch is dead even though he was supposedly crying for said bitch my apologies to the feminists if they interpret that as being deliberately sexist so much as just trying to make a point in context but again when it comes to the this interpretation of james bond daniel craig's version is presented as such a broken person that no time to die is just about that broken person coming to terms with his identity and the meaning of his life and I think that's best illustrated for even the villain played by Rami Malek, who, in my opinion, I always felt he was underrated. I like the fact that he was an unconventional Bond villain, because unlike the other Bond villains, and I didn't notice this until lately, because maybe I'm just, I haven't seen that. It's been, it had been so long since I'd seen a James Bond film, even though I actually did see Spectre prior to No Time to Die really quickly, just to just to fill myself in on what was going on, because I hadn't seen Spectre when it came out in theaters. The fact that Rami Malek's character doesn't monologue much and he just basically, and he even treats his evil plan in a very calculating way, almost with very little emotion attached to it, shows that he is totally different from the usual Bond villain, and I like that. I like the fact that even this interpretation of James Bond is very radically different from the others, and although that does turn off a lot of diehard James Bond fans, that is also very telling about the idea of what James Bond means to to fans overall. Because I once got into a discussion with someone at a place I worked at about their interpretation of James Bond. They said that Daniel Craig is okay, but he's not tough. 
all that, and I just thought that's not the point. It's about breaking down this guy who's trying to act tough when really he's just a scared young little boy who's trying to prove he's tough. And Casino Royale perfectly illustrated this in his relationship with Vesper Lind, who was, who was played by Ava Green. And how that when they were trying they were actually like psychoanalyzing each other in their first scene together just as like a playful little gimmick to pass the time she says said that he was that young boy that went to that prep school for a prob probably a scholarship or just dumb luck and the boys there always made him made sure he knew that so basically it just showcases that he had to fight his way to prove himself, no, he had to basically get in constant fights to prove that he was more than just his his economic upbringing, and that itself just shows you another element of his own vulnerability, and that's why I love the Daniel Craig films. They don't, they're not afraid to take this this character who was often portrayed in a rather in in a very physical and psychologically invincible fashion, and that just gets boring. I mean, I mean. I understand previous generations were used to that archetype. I mean, people are still turned off by the later interpretations of Batman where he's emotionally vulnerable and, and psychologically broken down to the point where the idea of Christian Bale's Batman and the Dark Knight crying for a woman is somehow given the most diehard and even puritanical of Batman fans the, the, the well, I mean, the incentive to call him a mangina or some shit, which doesn't fucking make sense because when someone you love being burned to death and incinerated yeah uh, it's not like he's fucking bawling and overdoing and going full re full dipshit but with um, no time to die what I love about this movie is that in many ways it made me feel it made me feel like I was watching Casino Royale again I mean I don't treat I don't see Casino Royale on the same level as No Time to Die I've seen Casino Royale a lot more times than No Time to Die which I've only seen twice and I have the, the Blu-ray copy of it with me but I guess the reason it made me feel that way is because is I mean obviously it's because it was the final Bond film as opposed to Casino Royale which was the first of Daniel Craig's Bond series but it, there was something so fresh and revitalizing about the experience itself because it was the end of a journey and when and the beginning of a journey itself can have a similar effect to you just don't know, you, you still got to process it i mean i was blown away by casino royale especially in that final scene where he shoots uh, mr white and says the name's bond james bond and it just felt like the beginning of a journey of a man becoming something more than what the film had already presented and with no time to die when uh, James Bond makes that heroic sacrifice and he says you have plenty of time you have all the time in the world I hope I'm quoting it right because I'm not going to go word for word and check and just check on some quoting website but there was just something very cathartic about that because even with some of the lesser liked Daniel Craig James Bond films you felt like after having spent so much time with him over this 15 year old period and growing up with him because I saw Casino Royale when I was like, um, fuck, when I was turning 16 years, when I, when I was 15 years old and I'm 31 now and I just look at it and I'm just blown away by how fucking incredible it was to be going on this journey with this character who gave, who made a very good impression in his first film and in the second one he was kind of like, eh, 
he was still suave and charismatic and charming, but the movie Quantum of Solace, I mean, I've only seen it once, so I don't know what I would feel about it now. I just know that when I saw it, in addition to just being relatively short as opposed to the other James Bond films, it was also just like a major step down. I mean, the editing, obviously, it's commented as shitty editing. I mean, the opening, it's fine. It's definitely better than Spectre's opening song. No Time to Die and Skyfall and Casino Royale songs are the best. It seems like James Daniel Craig's series has always had better better chances with the odd numbers as opposed to the even numbers. But everybody has their take. Because even, I mean, I've seen you, uh, like, uh, what do you call it? What do you call it? What do you call it? Fum... Print oh god I'm calling in thumbnails for James Bond videos of the Daniel Craig series like and some even pointing out how uh, Quantum of Solace is the perfect James Bond film or why Spectre is the perfect James Bond film or how No Time to Die's villains Lucifer's Saffin just a little few letters shy of Lucifer is the is an underrated villain which is a video I actually liked and I'll drop a link to that one down below as well because I think everybody should see that because. I think some of the criticisms of Lucifer Safin were a little harsh just because he doesn't fit the conventional monologuing James Bond villain. I mean, I don't, I mean, it's hard for me to tell whether I like Le Chiffre, played by Mads Mikkelsen, more than Rami Malek's Lucifer Safran. I mean, Lucifer, Lucifer, Lucifer. God, I love that name, Lucifer. Oh, God, now people are going to assume I'm a Satanist. But anyway, it is a cool name. And even his accent, your husband killed my family, and this will hurt him. You eradicate people. And that's my Rami Malik impersonation, although I could talk like him from Mr. Robot. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. Yeah. Although, that, but yeah, that's... That's kind of pathetic and just shows up, God, how much I've wasted my life. Anyway, going back to Lucifer, yeah, I'm not going to say it again, Lucifer Safin and uh, Mads Mikkelsen's Le Chiffre. It's very difficult for me to decide who I like more, but even Le Chiffre, he didn't really have much of a monologue. He was equally calm and suave to the same extent that James Bond was, that even his big emotional burst-out moment in that scene where he strips James Bond naked in Casino Royale and scratches his balls, as he put it, his mild outburst isn't so much as a monologue, so much as a confession of how even though he's kind of fucked, he's not entirely fucked because the British government would still welcome him with open arms and accept all the secrets he has about the organization, which was unnamed at the time, but then Spectre revealed that every that everything Christoph Waltz's uh, Ernst Stanz Blofeld was behind it all, and he was the orchestrator of James Bond's pain. I'm not sure how I feel about that, because I have only seen Spectre and Quantum of Solace once, and Quantum of Solace it, as I said, a major step down, and I feel the same way about Spectre, but it didn't leave me with the same feeling as Quantum did, which was complete disappointment and just sheer emptiness. I mean, at least Spectre was entertaining and it had its moments. I mean, I think No Time to Die is definitely a, a much more superior film, and it's one I would have to watch a few more times to get a better idea as to whether I prefer it more to Casino Royale. But 
it does give me this, a similar feeling in terms of the cathartic nature of how when Casino Royale ended, it gave it made me feel like I like I was in store for this great journey, and now with no time to die having concluded and giving me the ending of a journey of a character who I saw experience a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and just a lot of self-reflective analysis. Because what even every one of the James Bond films Daniel Craig played in offered, you know, presented him in a way of deconstructing him. I mean, Skyfall was definitely proof of it was proof of that with the fact that and I and the irony is it came out the same year of the Dark Knight Rises where a lot of fans were subjected to a Batman who was physically and emotionally broken down following the events of the Dark Knight and he has to get back into his skin in the game and in Skyfall there's some similarity about that especially when Bond is shot after M giving the orders and he comes back a few months later he's been drinking heavily he's not as fit as he used to be he can barely stand he's Unshaven, even though Daniel Craig still makes the grizzled, uh, badly, badly bad facial hair look look decent. Still, he's barely able to make this meet the standards of a 007 in terms of physicality and emotional, and emotional. Oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? Cult. Um, oh God, emotional consistency. No, no, no. Competence. Either way. He failed all, basically failed every test needed to prove that he was ready and set to be put back in the field of action. And now that with no time to die, come, having been the final one, supposedly, I mean, the fact that the end credit says James Bond will return is obviously saying that they're going to have another James Bond film. Obviously, Daniel Craig won't be playing it because for those of you who have seen No Time to Die, and I mean, it's been more than seven months, so I'll just, I, and if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but this is a spoiler territory. He dies. And it makes me wonder, who, it does make me wonder who could play him. Although, I think that the character of Naomi, the 007 that replaced him, was fascinating. Well, she was fun, but as to whether com what kind of complexity they could add to her, I don't know. I wish I could see her have her own James Bond franchise because she was just badass and slick and cool and just super confident to the point where, I mean, any accusations of it being part of some woke agenda is just, is just absurd. And the same with Ben Winshaw, who his character Q is gay and the movie doesn't flaunt it like crazy. It's just presented in a natural way. And yes, Ben Winshaw is gay himself. And... I just don't see how that would be considered a problem or anything pro-woke. It's just natural in the film. But anyway, going back to the No Time to Die, it just made me feel like I was watching Casino Royale again because I just I feel I just felt that same experience and uh, the the reason I mean I feel that I have to again I have to watch it again multiple times to see as to whether I prefer Casino Royale to No Time to Die. I mean, the fact I was actually originally planning to watch all the Daniel Craig films in order prior to this review, but I just decided, fuck it. You know, I recently bought No Time to Die. I liked it the first time I saw it. I was blown away by how exciting it was. I loved the journey, the epic nature of the film, and how I was never bored. It made me just better appreciate why I should just simply watch it and give my just give an honest view of a film that I think says a lot about how important it is 
to have a sense of meaning in our lives because obviously, like any James Bond film, whenever he engages in all the activities that a lot of people love him for and fa and glorify, but then you realize they're just embodiments of the more toxic elements of his masculinity, you realize he's living a very empty existence and it, a, it has to be a world-threatening event for him to like step out of his retirement or his hermit, his stage of uh, being a hermit back into action and then just finding a reason to do what he, not to save, not just save the world, but to, to leave a legacy. I mean, as I said, Lucifer Safran, Lucifer Safran says that life is all about leaving something behind. And I think that is why Despite the fact that life might may not have an inherent purpose, it is important to look at that concept of the meaningless meaninglessness of life as a means of crafting meaning. I mean, I always I've had existential debates in my mind about the meaning of my own life, and for me, I think it's important just to fixate on, to fi yeah fixate and look at the things I like and see why they're important to me and why I need to do them as opposed to doing things I, that I've been obligated to do on a, cons on a, con on a very cons um, consistent and conformative basis because unfortunately conformity is something that is very, I wouldn't say appealing because I doubt anybody is very happy with following the crowd so much as they feel safe and secure about it but that eventually they reach a point of boredom and very much the same point of boredom that James Bond is in when he's living his retire his quasi retire retirement hermit stage in no time to die. I mean he's enjoying himself but in such a routine basis that it's only when he gets back into the field of action that it looks like he's excited and he has a purpose. Whether that involves facing having to reface figures like Blofeld and this new enemy Safin who doesn't really hold anything personal against James Bond, and I also like that quality. For him, it's about the goal. I like that they didn't make it a personal thing so much as they assigned a lot of similarities between them. In addition to Safin being in love with Madeline Swan, although I, I don't even know how it's made clear what his age is or what her age is, I forgot, but then again, there is a major time gap between Spectre and No Time to Die, not just in the films, but in the release of the films. And obviously COVID-19 had a big major part with the delays of No Time to Die. But again, I do like Safin because he didn't have a personal attachment. He, the only pr attachment he had to Bond is that they love the same woman and they both have like this desire to bring about, to achieve a greater good. I mean, as Safin says, I just have, I'm just a bit tidier, which is a little kooky, but then again, he is an ex, yeah, like any Bond villain, I guess, if you're going to assign any of the traits that make him similar to Bond villains, as opposed to ra being rat radically different as he was, there might be some ex eccentricity to him, and I do like that. You have to, I mean, say, I mean, even if anybody could accuse the the current James Bond films of embodying that post 9/11 overly serious tone that a lot of franchises have taken have adopted, whether it's the MCU, the Dark Knight trilogy, or the recent Matt Reeves the Batman film, which I hope to talk about someday, I do like that there is a glamorous element element that makes this the franchise of James Bond fun, no matter what interpretation it is, and. 
even Daniel Craig's series has that where it can be fun and exciting and not super serious to the point where it's depressing and just overly realistic to the point where you just think to yourself, oh, fuck. Does every moment have to be um, something feel like something Zack Snyder felt made? No offense to Zack Snyder, but he does go overboard sometimes with that element, especially with Batman versus Superman. Anyway, these are my thoughts on No Time to Die because, and I'm rather ashamed that I wasn't able to meet the, at the end timer I put on my phone. I really would have loved you all to hear my Neon Genesis Evangelion ringtone for all the anime fans out there. But anyway, this is Open Door Films. Please like, comment, subscribe, and uh, check out my Patreon because, you know, I just recently launched a Patreon and, you know, I'm not begging for money but asking for give this channel a chance to build and grow into something bigger. I mean, after all, life is all about leaving something behind. And in addition to all the writing I do, I hope my podcast can be left behind as something that was profitable and much more expansive. Anyway, enjoy the show. Oh, God, that sounded cheesy. That's what I say in the intro.